Welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galina. Hello. And today we're joined by a very special guest. It's a bigger part of a conversation that Jason and I have been talking about. So we're really happy to be joined by James Scully. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you guys? We're good. Yes, post snow here in New York. I was actually tucked in all day yesterday, but I'm glad to be released into the world today and glad to be here with you, James. Same. And the nice thing about New York snowstorms is they seem to stick everywhere else but New York. So that we actually <laughs> get the benefit of like an amazing 24 hour snowstorm that didn't stick. So it's, we can all go about our business today. That's very true. I'm sure a lot of people have a lot to do. So exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So for those listening that might not have the full scope of your kind of being in fashion, you're like an industry veteran at this point, so for 30 plus years in the industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you've been up to? Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly, I would say, known for being a casting director and I've had my own company for about the last, I don't know how long at this point, but somewhere between 15 and 20 years, I can't even really peg, um, because I freelanced for so many companies first and then went out on my own. Pretty much my career spans from starting in retail. In the 80s, I was a buyer at a store called Charvari, and that led actually to a job working with our PR company, who was Kevin Cryer, who was a huge fashion show producer, and that was kind of how I really started in the fashion show business was I was basically in charge of show production for him. So that was really um, how I cut my teeth in the business. And then I did a quick stint as bookings editor of Harper's Bazaar from uh, 99 to 2001. And then I took a brief two-year vacation from the business and then came back and started my own company. So yeah, I guess in 2003, I really went on went on my own. And basically that throughout that journey, actually um, coming back to a fashion world in 2003, 2004, which all of a sudden was no longer diverse. And, and also just seemed to be, it was the beginning of kind of being taken over by a very small faction of people. Mm. And this whole kind of non-diverse and newly cruel business sort of formulated just in the three years that I was gone. Um, and you saw that difference. Completely. And it just yeah. kind of threw me for a loop because that wasn't the world I left. Mm -hmm. And it was just so shocking to come back to this kind of new order that I was now supposed to fall into. And I guess my instinct was to fight it. <laughs> and that was kind of the beginning of where I wound up in the last two years, which was, um, I feel like all of that kind of came to a head. And there was a lot of stuff brimming, just a lot of incidents going on. And I would say about 18 months ago, two years ago, there were some people behind the scenes who were kind of fed up with how this was going and basically said, if we came together with you, would you be willing to kind of make something happen? And so I did. I did. And then I guess the culmination of all of that was pretty much almost two years ago, I made my first speech about this new order of the way the business is being run at the Business of Fashion Conference, their first conference. Um, and that went viral, which was a very odd experience because I didn't realize, even though I'm not followed a lot, I, didn't have, I had a small following, you know, I wasn't a big social media person. It somehow reached way outside of me. It touched um, a nerve. It really me. touched a yeah. nerve. And I guess part of the promise I made was I told you know, several stories about, you know, these six or seven people that I thought had kind of hijacked the business. 
that we went back to Paris and things were status quo, I would start attaching their names to these stories. And it happened in that. That actually just kind of turned my entire world upside down. Uh, well, well, James, actually, to be clear on that initial conversation surrounding making something happen, explain that a little bit more for us. When you said that when you returned to the business, essentially you started to have conversations around, I guess, what you were observing and what was wrong with what you were observing and you wanted to make a change. Explain that to a bit more for us. Well, kind of what happened was, um, you know, prior to 2001, and really, I mean, part of what happened in the business was a, it was a byproduct of companies going public. So kind of prior to this big, you know, before there were really caring groups in LVMH, I mean, they all existed, but it wasn't this whole idea of buying hundreds of houses and then trying to make them all work at once. Right. And the way the system used to run was, you know, a designer at most would do two to four collections a year. And right. in the old days, you had... Fall, winter, spring, summer, and then maybe resort. And then, then it became pre-fall, post-fall, after resort, opera ski. You know, I mean, joking, but like really it kind of <laughs> got, ski. it got out of hand with how many collections were starting, you know, then men's, then women's, then collaborations, then, you know. Then social media. Yeah, then yeah. designers, you know, like even young designers trying to stay afloat by like taking on an eyewear license or a perfume, like things that they weren't even ready for because they just had to keep afloat. And ultimately, a lot of these big design houses did have to start hiring outside help. Before that, you didn't have a stylist or a casting director working with you, you did it all in-house. Right. And then as kind of the rise of the stylist came along, these people were being hired by these big groups. And in the end, you know, initially, if there was success in that, that person would get hired for another house. So they would get six or seven houses all at once. And then all of a sudden, like, here was this new shift in power because this was this person that now said, well, it's not anymore about, like, here's the model, here's the guy, here's a girl, like, let's get excited about the trajectory. I was like, well, you know, I gave you a break, so now I own you. So, like, here are my eight jobs, and you're going to do them all, whether you make money or you profit from it or not because I need what I need. And if you don't do what I ask, your career is over. And, and from that, a wider perspective, that the industry has always been predicated and sort of breeds that uh, like worship culture where it's just, well, now we worship you because you're at this level of success or you're at these heady heights. And so we bow down and do whatever and everything goes on check. You know, and then this grew because then you had one stylist that had eight clients and you got another stylist that had eight clients and then you had a fourth stylist that had the other eight and they would each align themselves with the casting director. And it just, in the end, it wasn't really about doing what was right for your client for the business. It was about that you kind of blew smoke up your own ass and believed it and thought, I'm going, yeah. you know. And I've always noticed that that's kind of been a shift where it's the same five so it's same five to ten stylists, editors, models, influencers, and then it becomes a bit of a bubble. Yeah, and that became a big problem. Well, what's interesting about how you're defining this uh, this scene at the time was that this sounds very much like high school. This sounds like you know the these popular factions and their their fiefdoms and them reigning terror over over certain areas of this industry. But what? What was very surprising to me during that era, and I, I lived this era and remember it vividly, but what surprised me about this sort of like 
stylist mafia culture that was uh, more more prevalent back then was the unfettered authority and power that was imparted to these stylists, to the Katie Grants of the world. They would come into these houses. I remember Katie Grant, for example, at Bottega Veneta, come into these houses with her crew upend everything and and redefine it in their in their own language and she was just not the only one there were a number of stylists in that era and that era lasted a very long time where under these massive umbrellas you know the caring groups and the LVMHs and those kind of companies started to really um, become massive during, the, during this period but still yet these little clubby elements were able to really run around with such authority and was able to really develop and build houses is in the image that they saw. Not necessarily the image of a, a Bernard Arnault or, or some, some head of a different company. It was very, very stunning shift in power. And, and you felt the need to combat it at that time, but there was not many people talking about it. Yes, and in this podcast, I'd rather not sort of name names. And, and to be quite honest, just in... In particular, Katie Grand has actually become behind the scenes an incredible agent for change. And I have to say, she's one person who has really come to bat and said, this did go wrong and we need to correct this. And she's been quite instrumental, again, with things that people don't even know that are happening in making some pretty incredible drastic changes happen. And there's been a lot of that. And there's been, you know, there definitely have been people who have come to bat and there are just people that still go on as though none of it is about them at all or they're they don't really realize when some of these things happen that that's who we're talking about back to that point that is kind of what happened and i i, I make a joke sometimes because the other thing prior to that if you were an editor at Cundy master hearst you weren't allowed to freelance and this whole freelance culture is also what right, created this so it's like mm-hmm. i now also have eight magazines behind me and eight clients and it just i mean it created something that ultimately was going to happen. I don't just think people really realize the scope. And there was no reflection back then. There was there was no sense of reflection as to what was going on. These changes and these these things were just happening and they were embraced and all of a sudden we were living under different systems and, and that was that. There was no sense of transparency or no, and I think that's why it got out of control and I think that's why it all came to a head because ultimately, you know, if you are a public company or any company, if you had hired any one of us and we behaved that way, not only would we be fired, we'd probably be prosecuted. We, You know, they're like, really, these things break every rule of what has been established for any code of conduct in a normal company, whether it's regarding just behavior, harassment, of verbal, sexual, of any kind. And I think it, eventually it had to be made clear that you can hire someone this way for your company if you're hiring them, period. But why do you think because you're a freelancer or you're hiring a freelancer, they escape this code. And I think that was the thing that really was put, uh, was made very clear in this last year that now anyone we hire is but was it made very clear though, James? Is are we undergoing a real a reckoning, truly, truly a reckoning in all areas of the business? Well, I mean, it's just the beginning. So I think, again, I think the LVMH caring charter that we started, which obviously is under, you know, that is still a work in progress. We, we're changing things about it now. We're going to change things about it. Like after every fashion season, we can reassess, like, what worked, what didn't work. But I do think everything that's happened in the last year has definitely 
put people in line. And, you know, some people have definitely come to bat. Again, some people think it has nothing to do with them because they're oblivious to it. And and I think part of it is this social media culture. Like nobody now, like there are a lot of people who would never have said a word ever in their lives were now like, look, if you're taking my career down, I'm going to take you down with me because that's not, <laughs> that's, true. that's how this generation rolls. So it's, you're kind of, there's a lot of new factors in play that didn't exist before, but we have to start somewhere. I mean, we have to start somewhere. And I want to, I want to find out about the body that oversees, that's overseeing this. Is there, is there any sort of formal body? We know that there's the model alliance that deals with model issues well, and so forth. that's the thing that I think is developing from all of this now. You know, there is, the model alliance which for many years was not supported by the business and now mm-hmm. i think the business really highlighted up the business is now really coming together including a lot of agencies who really wouldn't support her or sit in a room with her now are really behind her to say we need we need to get something done and i think a lot of people who came to the business when i did and the people who came in the business after and the difference between before and now and not really having these two generations meet is that, you know, there was my generation who was everything, pretty much we had our careers happen in the 80s and early 90s. There was this next generation of people which kind of came in this realm of cruelty in this new world order. So there's a lot of people that only know this business. They only know how to be mean. They only know how this part of the business works. And then there's the next generation, which is the new kids now who... They want to see themselves represented. They want to be treated as equals and differently, and they don't get into this middle ground. And I find with a lot of people that were became professionals in this middle ground, they're very hard to reach because they're like, we can't, we can't, we can't, you can't change this way. And my, you know, again, my generation is like, well, you can because this is how it was. Mm-hmm. And then you have the next generation is like, we don't care what you think. We're going to, we're going to make it our way and kind of take both worlds and combine them because you can't say no. Right. Um, and you can't just give up and say this is the way it is because I feel like that person is the one that's going to get edged out of the business ultimately because you either have to adapt to what's going on now or you're not you're not going to last. Right. Well, what what I think it's bold and important to state in this, and you've you've used it twice, is cruel. You've called it essentially a, a cruel culture, and I think what a lot of people don't don't call that out. I don't think many people in this industry have had the, really the balls to to highlight, you know, just some of these horrible practices that are sort of taken for granted in this in this business. And I find it I find it interesting that you use the word cruel in such a potent in such a potent way. So one of the things that I was really interested in with that big Instagram post that went viral, you called out a few things and it kind of really escalated along with the the larger Me Too movement, this whole idea of uh, abuse of power, particularly around sexual misconduct. And so you've been one of the leading voices and advocates for the Me Too movement within our industry. One of the things that I was really surprised about, though, over the last year that it's been evolving is that the dynamic hasn't really shifted much beyond the model photographer. I mean, it kind of has a little bit in the sense that we're moving towards like creative directors and stylists and the narrative shifted slightly from female models to male models. But where do you see it moving beyond that? Like, do you feel like this Me Too movement is actually going to uncover the wider abuse of power within the industry? Do you feel that now there is going to be any transparency around heads of agencies, females, like this whole idea that you talk about of cruelty and mismanagement and abuse of power and all of the, you know, we're largely an unprotected 
industry. Very well, unprotected. Another thing is that people don't realize about fashion is it's super broad. I mean, if you work in a law firm, it starts at the top, and there's the law firm. Right. And the law firm, if you're a doctor, it's the people in your you know, whereas fashion, it is creatives, it's photographers, it's, you know, there's just a exactly. bigger... Exactly, there's all these different components. Yeah, and I, um, uh, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, right now we're still in this finger-pointing moment, which was never my intention. And again, I think my initial, my reaction was how it was affecting my part of the business. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, I wasn't necessarily at the time thinking of the business as a whole. I was thinking of this particular part of the business because in my mind, it's the most unregulated part, especially the whole fashion show production part. And this is where this power sort of moved very quickly because you would get people working for lots of houses and through other people and other areas, I think this spread to larger, it spread to the larger community. And I think in a way, as we were talking before, I'm sort of getting associated with it as a whole. And that's not necessarily I would say it's not necessarily what I wanted it certainly wasn't what I intended and I think the speed of the business the amount of especially in the fashion show arena the amount of newness that people want and the amount of people that are just coming in and out of this business Mm -hmm. you know part of that regulation has to be is because a we're working with people that are too young there's too many people under 18 that are in this business there's too many people in this business and I just started to feel like the whole modeling slash fashion show part was becoming too much like trafficking and you know at the end of the day when a model is in a show that usually leads to her being in a shoot that usually leads to the beginning of his or her career whereas now it's just really like you're being used in a show and you're being tossed out and that was becoming unsustainable and it was also allowing a lot of this cruelty to really flourish because I think people just became normalized and desensitized to the right. fact that like, wow, Completely. here's a human being. And like, we don't realize that, you know, when they're, you're that young, you walk away from school, you walk away from life. And then all of a sudden you're in a cornfield one day and the next day you're like in Versace. And like, you can't take a person and do that to them and then just toss them out one season later and think right. that's not going to have an effect. Or if you talk to a person this way. And I think, you know, the thing that a lot of people in fashion forget is that just because someone looks 26, does not mean that they are 26 and I think or 35 or you know so people just tend to treat children like they are adults and they're making adult decisions because they are painted up like an adult and they totally forget Mm -hmm. that you know one week ago this is a person who was sitting in Disney World with her five friends and writing in a diary and sitting in her bed full of teddy bears and you have to like people really forgot that and people just really you know I think for me that was the main thing was that there was just this we had to start being responsible for the human toll that this business was creating that we could very easily stop the dam flooding if there were some things that we did. And I just felt there were so many things going on at once. I had to say something about at least one thing to get, to get one part of it to stop. So. And, and I think the response, such a flood of response to, to, to your statement was because no one says anything. So if one person says something, it's like, Wow, I mean, you you get a a great deal of credit for the bravery and just for uh, stepping out of the box and actually saying something. I just think this is a industry that operates on such a level of, of outsized 
fear. And I and, and I feel that anyone who says something that's slightly dissenting will get a lot of credit in this business because there's so few. It's fear, but it's also, I think, that the business is also really run on this idea of the status quo, right? I mean, we all come from different aspects of the industry, and I've definitely fallen into that middle ground that you were talking about, where I'm not quite the millennial generation, but I'm not the one that came before. I'm in the generation of like, well, that's just how it is. You know, there's that whole idea of it breeds this culture of worship and it's the devil wears Prada idea of the abuse is just what it is and it's almost a bit of a parody which is how that film kind of came about this idea that you know you can have a coat or a stapler flung at you and you know you're just paying your dues <laughs> and you make a really good point about models because I think one of the things that I hadn't even really thought out of is the idea of being taken out of one context and placed into another as opposed to someone who has opted into the industry because of research and, and aspiration and ambition to move through the ranks. So I think in terms of abuse of power, those two vantage points are completely, and those two contexts are very different. Yeah, the other thing that's become non-sustainable is the same thing. It's like, you know, you literally have a girl who does an exclusive in one show, and then all the second, you know, the next day she's shooting with top photographers in the world, and they're all like five seconds later, literally, like every stylist is just willing to sell their children to have this person in a show, and then all of a sudden, six months later, they're like, yeah, I don't like her anymore. I'm like, well... I don't, like what happened in like last season you were like you were gonna fire me to not be able to get this person and now all of a sudden you don't like them anymore and that's yeah well the they pay. don't give yeah. and I'm like well you know it takes ten years to give you know like Christy Lynn and Cindy and Naomi like they didn't you know they didn't get one week you know this is not a reality show where you have one chance to sing and that you know like it you know we all know making a model is not so this is not a speed business this is right. something that takes. And, you know, fashion is not a speed business and we're not really meant to <laughs> churn things out in that sense. And that is what became the big problem is that the same thing, the boredom of one season and next season. And, you know, we went from having a standard in the business to what a model was to now. I don't even know what it is. I mean, literally, I just look at sometimes people on like habits and I'm walking down the street and scout this pretty, you know, which it's all getting very conflated. It's, it's just very too interesting. Yeah. I just, anything qualifies now. And that, again, the business is not sustainable under that business model because it just, it doesn't work. And what I also find interesting in this time is that you were able to get a response from your swing single post. You were able to get a response from the the Carings and the eight LVMHs um, of the world. And we spoke about social media and how the culture of social media really impacts the amplification of issues. Do you think that was the sole reason, the, the sole reason why you felt that those houses reached out to you because things travel by such wildfire and the impact would be immediate and great. So they felt that to respond to you was the, was the only thing that they, was the only response that they could have at the time. Unfortunately, it was really an accident. You know, really, I don't think anyone, I, me personally, and I think about that all the time, when that incident happened and the girl started to tell me that that happened, I was just so angry that I was like, I literally went out and made the post and went about my business and never thought about it. And then two hours later, I got a call from the office of Pino and they're like, you need to come now. I'm like, well, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. So it wasn't even like, right. it was, you know, and to be quite honest, when I spoke at the BOF, my goal at some point was to get in front of both of those companies couple years down the road, you know, I thought this was going to be a very long journey to really try and make people think like, here's what's going on, here's what's going on under your watch, and you need to know these things. But that made it very clear in one afternoon what was going on under their watch. And I think, I truly think Pito was devastated 
you know, and again, at that level of the company, you know, everyone's like, they should have known. I'm like, well, how would I know if I have like a company that has like right. 30,000 employees, like how am I, supposed, you know, that you depend on the chain and I, you know, but it was, it was a real education for them too. They're like, look, we had no idea. And this needs to stop because this is going on and like, let's put something in place. And I think the fact that people talk about it and we're sort of aware and kind of new, you know, now they're really like, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you could have a real lawsuit on your hands. So you, I also, think- you also put it out there in a real way. It's not hearsay and it's not backstage conversation. You actually, via social media, appealed to what is, I guess, equally as important, the court of public opinion, which is now almost as strong as the policies and things are in place to protect us. Well, and the same thing, to be quite honest, when I put it out there, I wasn't really putting it out there for the world at large. I was putting it out to the business because they knew and we knew and like at least that was where I could appeal you know and then when people started hitting back like oh my god they did that to me between all the models that had said something all you know I got letters from their former employees from other companies they worked for it wasn't like no one ever even came back in defense because there was no you know this again was clearly something that was going on for years and the fact that it could just keep getting worse and worse in every season. Like it became more sadistic and the things that they were doing, I just, I, I was just, it was so over the top, that whole thing that I just was so blown away. I just thought it was a knee jerk reaction. It wasn't just a like, well, I'm going to go here and write this, you know? And then when that exploded, I didn't see what was coming my way either, which was also quite overwhelming and devastating because then you know for years I've been getting letters from models and people and things and like then to really like when I opened that door to really get a lot of the letters that I was getting mm. from models and their parents and age you know like oh, that's so heartbreaking they're heartbreaking yeah. and you know I mean I'd say they're crushing and I really was becoming crushed under the weight of, wow. with no one that you know because 90% of those letters are like, here's what happened to me, but you can't tell anyone. The first day was 300 letters. The second day was 1,200 letters. Then it was 200 letters. Then it was 500 letters. They, and they didn't stop. Wow. They just kept coming and coming. And and that's the thing. I think we can get sort of caught up in the sound bites and we forget about these personal, really personal stories. Devastatingly personal stories. And I think, I guess just to backtrack, the thing that kind of happened when I came out of the business that I think was the thing that stuck in my head from day one, and it's the place I came from, was that when we did one of the first CFDA health initiative meetings, and it was one of the very, very first, people got up and spoke very freely because they all knew this was starting to happen. We didn't couldn't really put our finger on what it was um, that was happening, but we knew it was in the air. And I remember I went up and made a speech. I have no idea what I said. But I remember at the end of that meeting, a model came up to me who was a huge model and all of a sudden disappeared off the face of the earth and no one could ever figure out what what happened to this girl and what, you know, cover star, every photographer was shooting it. You know, and if I mentioned her name, everyone would know exactly who this was. I remember she came up to me, and it wasn't in confidence, but she came up to me after that meeting and literally said, if someone had said what you said tonight, my entire life would have changed. And if this wow. had come from an agent, from from somebody, I would not have had what happened to me happen. And that was when I thought, wow, this is what's happening every day because some stylist turns to a girl and says, you're fat and doesn't realize that she's not fat. She started at 15 and now she's going through puberty and you're going to, you know, that is what, and that is where I came from. It wasn't, in the end, it became the huge picture, the photographers, you know, all, like it just kind of, took on a life of its own. But my initial thing was just this 
really it was the power of your words. And I think people were really throwing around this verbal and psychological abuse to whether it was there, whether it was another model, whether it's a photographer, whether it was another. Uh, and I don't begrudge any of those stylists or people earning the work that they got. It was just like, now you're here in this place in the world and you have to realize like, you have the key to hold the things you say or the way you behave to a person um, could either be the best thing that ever happened to them or you're going to send their life into a downward spiral and you don't even realize you're doing this. And it was time for us. Yeah. You know, that was really always where I came from and why I did it because I was just watching. It was getting too big and too giant. And I really think, you know, in the end, because a lot of these people became bullies, they bullied their clients, they bullied the agents, they bullied, you know, so you, then again, you have this whole group of people like, well, that's the way it is. And one of the things this season is uh, at the BOF conference, we did these little forums and I was in a room where I was about to propose an idea, which I'm working on with several people right now. And I had all three generations of people in the room. It was my generation. It was this generation of that's the way things are. We can't do anything. And then a group of kids who are like ready to move forward and take the world for themselves. And at the end of the day, you know, I proposed the idea. My group is like, totally makes sense. I love it. Group three was like, love it. Group two was like, I love the idea, but I just can't stand behind. You can do it, but don't put my name on it, which I get tired of hearing because that is the gripe of it. And so I literally, I said, look, we're not leaving this room until I don't want to hear any more that like, I love the idea, but I can't put my name because, on it. Yeah. You tell me what you're putting your name on, and then we're leaving the room. And then we're leaving the room. But is that the fear of, it's that cloak, that culture of, I'm not going to work, I'm not going to be liked, totally. I'm not going to, and it is, it's self-preservation. But I would say, you know, my argument now is for anyone that's spoken out, and, you know, in this new climate, it didn't hurt Edie Campbell to say what she wanted to say, which was nothing negative about anyone. It was just about where we've come as an industry. Like, and I do feel that a lot of the people who speak out on any level, whether it's our business or not, you almost become revered more than you do not. I could argue you know. that a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes. I, I think that when it comes to a public facing model or an actress or someone who has some level of public forum or recognition, I think that's the case. But to the point about what happens internally in the corporate infrastructure of the business, you don't necessarily have that platform. So if you do speak out, you are just subject to being fired and, and there isn't necessarily that kind of rally around well, and the thing in is, a public forum and in a public space in that same sense. I get, Well, and that's the risk you have to take as well if you really feel like you can make a difference. Mm -hmm. If you can't, then, the, you know, my personal feeling was I was going to speak out because I couldn't stay in this business anymore as it existed and I was already making my exit plan. So for me, I had nothing to lose because I was like, I don't care. I'd rather work right. in Starbucks than work right. in this business in this way. Yeah. So why don't I at least, and again, it wasn't like I sat around and thought, oh, I'm going to try and do something. It was just like, I'm so frustrated. I have to do something because right now I can't walk away from the business either. You know, I have things to finish. I have things to do. I have clients. So, so then I just started saying things. And so, you know, for some things I did lose work. I did lose clients. I, you know, but, but you ultimately, I didn't care. And it wasn't like I was leaving the business with tons of money in the bank to say, oh, well, you know, I can just sit back and let this happen because part of me was like, you know, I could really screw things up. But it, ultimately, I did at that point, I didn't care. But it's also it. such a personal fight for you. I think you gained so much more in terms of just a personal uh, resolution as opposed to the monetary or the work or the, 
you know, I can imagine. Yeah, none of that. Like, like, felt like I, yeah, you know, I, I didn't, and again, it wasn't about personally feeling better or feeling better. You know, what I really wanted to see, you know, if you feel like you're in a company or you're somewhere where you can't necessarily speak out because you're afraid of the repercussions, if there's something else you could do and not put your name on it or subtly in a way that you can kind of make a difference without the general people knowing that, oh, this, you know, there are ways also to get something done without necessarily having, you know, everyone doesn't have to be the voice either. And let's, let's drill, let's drill down on that actually, because I, I wanna I wanna talk about this turning point if in fact we can decide that this is a turning point. If this is in fact the turning point for this business, this industry, and the industry is willing to turn the mirror on itself and really look <laughs> in the eyes of what goes on in this business. I want to bring up this issue now of diversity off the runway. You were able to get such attention to the issue of diversity on the runway, we, we spoke about all the, the major powerful people that uh, reached out to you in that time. They were concerned that they didn't know what was going on on the front lines there. However, they do know what is going on in their company. They can see, you know, what, what their staffing is like. Abuse of power ultimately is about corruption. And this is a, this is a form of corruption. How the, the powers that be do know that there is not proper representation in their, in their organization, in their, in their companies, particularly in this fashion space. How then has that issue? And we have people who have been speaking to that cause on, on very well on prominent platforms, but still yet. We have yet to bring any real attention to actually where it will really make a profound difference in the corridors, in the executive corridors, in the boarding, in the boardrooms and so forth. How come we haven't getting, gotten any impact on that front in the fashion industry? Well, again, that's totally outside of my, again, I think everyone initially, like I said, you know, one of the backlashes I'm personally experiencing is that with all of these other accusations and articles and things, you know, now people are just running and it's like, this is your fault, this happened. <laughs> My two responses to that would be like, I gave you the core of what I was doing. My core was really about the human cost of what fashion show production slash, you know, it extends to the business. But in this particular part of the business, it was really becoming too much for me to witness. And the fact that other people know this is normalization and can turn a blind eye, my real thing was just initially to say like, look, this is cruel. And like, you have to, if you don't see this, then we have a problem. And there have been a lot of people and definitely a lot of people behind the scenes who have had that mirror turned to them and said, whoa. And then there are other people who look in the mirror and have no reflection. So that will all, you know, that will settle down or settle out as it's meant to be. You know, the larger picture. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting, and again, and I really feel like it has happened in the last two years, and I can attest to my side of the business where diversity has changed. And again, the bigger picture, again, it's just that's, this is the beginning of, you know, this whole time we're living in is just such a different time and an upside down time. But one of the things I've really seen change the most in the last five years is that again, with this even post-millennials coming into the business and just and because of social media, you know, the whole idea of what beauty is has changed in the last five years. And that's great, James. I definitely, I, I mean, well, no, I, I'm making a bigger point. Okay. This is, um, and the thing about this generation is that 
they don't care about our world. I'm in another world. I'm in the last of magazines. I'm in the last of fashion. You know, this next generation, I work with a lot of these kids because I mentioned them at my former college, is that um, they don't care about us or anything. They see us as nostalgic. They see all of these constructs as like something that doesn't relate to them because their whole idea of the world is you have to get it now. You're going to do 50 things and you just have to, you know, get it as it happens. But we're the ones that are going to make it happen. And we don't see ourselves represented and if we don't, we're going to do it ourselves. And I really do think that has been, especially on the design side, the reason for the off-whites, for the Amiris, for the, just for these new collections of people that are like, hey, this is my world, this is my person. And not even necessarily on a race thing, because a lot of people identify to this, but this whole new idea of like, make it at home, make it small, let's do our thing, like, this is what my world is. But these, there have been a lot, you know, just even the chromats and all, you know, these are people and of young kids that are like, the system doesn't work for me, period. But that's so the I'm alternative, that's, that's an alternative, though, and that's the thing. And I, I think that's often the response to that diversity conversation that, well, you can go over there and do your own thing. Well... Well, yeah, we can also do that. But there is, in fact, a system in place that that works, that mm -hmm. is very prosperous to, you know, to many people. People right. make a great living. They're very creative in that world. But it doesn't include, it doesn't include but certain people. I think people. we're also talking about two very different things, because I think when we talk about the model and advertising runway show idea versus the internal infrastructure of corporate fashion culture, the very big difference is the obvious one. One is kind of public and consumer facing and easier to get behind and having, you know, the, the transparency uh, just feels a bit more, there's an agency behind it. Whereas there is a really impenetrable cloak when it comes to the... You, you think? Why impenetrable? Or, or seem, sorry, <laughs> seemingly impenetrable cloak because that level of transparency is... I mean, there are a very small amount of people who knows what happens in those office buildings, in those in those set offices. So I think it's a harder hill to climb, I imagine, because it's not so public facing. Fear, and so fear I, no. I am, yeah, none of this was being addressed. Yeah. And again, you know, I have to to credit social media because right. it wouldn't, you know, this would have been a newspaper article that would have been like taken exactly. two years to get. Right. If, exactly. If we were in another, you know, if social media didn't exist, exactly. Would be, no one knows you know. what's happening behind the scenes. So I guess the, your question really actually is what's the vehicle to get that level of transparency like we're seeing on the other side? Well, well, we can, we can talk about the vehicle. We can definitely talk about the vehicle because the vehicle and James, I, I, I do want to say, I don't, I don't, I, you're not here to speak on every, on all right, the, you know, the, I want to be careful about that. that. People are like testing yes. you and they're like, for you're the vessel for all things. Yeah, that's <laughs> not something I ever, it's kind of accidental and I, I will say that when that whole thing first happened and I was really overwhelmed and it was really I didn't know where to turn I didn't know like I just getting these letters and these things and you know for as much positive and as much of these devastating letters you know all these people like how dare you know like it was an you know again it was an accidental tweet you know, like, I joke for anyone that's seen Evan Hansen it's like dear Evan Hansen without the lie but like that's how fast you know you just you don't see that coming and you know fortunately at one point Caring's PR department did come in and say like you know because I would have journalists like literally from every country in the world and this you know like hundreds of like i need you to answer me about this 
by four o'clock this afternoon, I'm just going to write whatever I want about you. And like when people like, I'm like, you know, it's like some paper in Brazil. I'm like, I'm going to shit about you. But like, you know what? They write one thing and that goes viral. They take right. that. Like that's the scary thing about how that all happens. And you know, at one point they were like, look, you know, who are the journalists that are threatening you and bothering you? Like, you're just, you're, we're going to create a statement. We're going to do this. And we're going to say for the rest of them, you're just not going to answer. And, but when you get hundreds of those for the first time ever, you're freaking out and, I will say, you know, one of the people who's really guided me through this is Bethan Hardison, who really was one of the first people to call me and say, look, you know, now, whether you meant it or not, this is where you are in the world. And now people are just going to come to you anytime something like this happens and be prepared for that. But I'd say if no one had told me that, I don't really know how I would have navigated any of that because that is really... And I'm sure, and, I'm, and, and it comes lopsided to you because there, as you said, there, there are issues that are closer to your heart because that is in line with with your day to day work. And then all of a sudden, you have to take up the cause of every marginalized, <laughs> marginalized group. But I think, particularly in this business, what has happened is just like once the egg is slightly cracked, then you know everything is just starts to pour out. And from my perspective, as a as a black person working in this business, I had to ask that. I have to ask the question as to why certain issues and also uh, the messenger when it comes from certain individual. I mean, I have to say it's not, it hasn't been lost on me that someone like Edie Campbell got such a response to to her open letter. And also you, uh, James, standing on the the platform that you do and being who you are, got such a response to, um, to the indictments that you guys made against this industry. Other voices don't get that kind of attention and other issues do not get that kind of attention. And um, as I said, I'm a, I'm a black person, so this issue is very close to my heart. And I just wonder why, for example, like the CFDA wouldn't respond to an to a, an open letter to address the, the the diversity issue in the executive corridors in this business. Something that seems so meaningful. Not to discredit anything about surrounding the models, but this is actually where the power and power is in our power is in our titling here about the abuse of power this is where the power structure becomes imbalanced really stays in balance stays in balance yes we can we can address this consumer facing issues very easy to kind of cut, put a whitewash and a cosmetic over the, the things that the public see but in the place that it really matters why does Gucci not have a black executive in their corridors when so many black people from Africa to Atlanta are the spokespeople people for their brand and consume it and wear it probably more than you know any other cultures. I, I wonder why then the representation is not there and why a brand like that would not look directly at that issue in that company. And again, that may be uh, a lot to, to, to yeah, land on your lap. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, I can't not answer that, but I can't, you know, there's... Yeah. Well, also, like, there's a million answers to that, yeah. and that's, well, that is—it <laughs> is so so complex and nuanced. That's I so mean, yeah. I would love to know, just in your opinion, given that you have a broad experience and just you understand the corporate structures and powers that be, do you think that the Me Too movement and the model movement that's happening within the industry, do you think that? This is really a real tipping point and will allow for more prevalent change across all of these issues that we're talking about and that we're facing. Do you I, think I that it's going to so. I mean, think... be a catalyst for larger change or do you think it's going to sort of really be focused in and around the things that we can see? 
No, because I think I think it's got to, the focus has got to spread, and it will. Just because right now, again, also everyone loves a scandalous finger pointing. That's none of this should ever have been that. This should have been about the conditions of this industry that were created by this industry that are perpetuated by this industry on all those levels. Whether it's you know how you're treated on a shoot to who you're actually hiring for your design staff or your corporate staff, and I don't think any of that has ever really been addressed because. Again. <laughs> I wonder why, though, James. Those are the no, questions no, 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 that I'm asking. Thing is now this, you know, it's never been addressed before now. And now, like I said, I, you know, I just think we're in a new, you know, I don't think a lot of people ever felt that they could speak out or say anything before. And I do think now this is just the beginning of people really saying, I have a gripe about your hiring process. It's just on some level, it has a way to go. On some other levels, it needs to be reined in and... You know, because now you really have people being very specific about, you know, like, here's, you know, you can't set quotas regarding anything, you know, anything either. And I think a lot of people are getting lost in that. And again, if someone says something doesn't make a lot of people happy, then everyone is out to attack. And I think that all, and and I think that all has to be raining because personally now, I think where all of this has to go, especially on my level, especially even if I take it one step further to the whole photographer slash model, you know, this all should have been addressed years ago before it got out of hand. And to be quite honest, there's always going to be a bad apple in the world. There's always going to, you know, and that's not saying that that justifies any of that. The problem is, is in the last 15 years, it just became so normalized. I mean, when there really was something that bad happened, maybe someone might have done something about it. Maybe you wouldn't send people to that, per- you know, but in the end, when that became the norm, everyone just jumped in this pool and said, well, that's how it is let's just turn it it's not even turn your head it becomes just so marginalized you don't even think you're doing anything wrong and that's what really got to me was that people just forgot any kind of level of human decency and and to be quite honest the business used to be fun this used to be joyous this was all about doing something as a collective you know in this new economy in this new fastness in this way you know because creativity has sort of had its wings clipped it's not the easiest business to kind of make happy or be happy or be as creative. However, you know, again, if you're a kid that's just coming into this business now and you know this is how fast it works, they should know going forward that this is how we can make it a happier place and a safer place and a nicer place. Because And there's no reason that it can't be that. You know, maybe it won't work for me because speed is different and I'm just used to an old way. But Mm -hmm. I do think that is the interesting thing about bridging these three generations together because these kids are ready to go forward and this is what we know, but we know we have to be more humane. Whereas, but, and again, we know what's out there. We know what's wrong. There are definitely things that are going to be uncovered. As you said, in the bigger picture of the world is now it will go into maybe the more creative types and how people are behaving. And then it will eventually go into a, the hiring processes of, you don't think it's going to be a a continued case of the strong sort of eating the, the weak. Well, I think you actually hit the nail on the head because fashion used to be fun. It used to be about collaboration. It used to be about creativity. And it really was predicated on those sets of pillars, whereas certain anomalies and monopolies happened and it shifted the power focus to things that felt more cruel and mean. But I think from where it started, there was a lack of regulation and a lack of, it was almost like these unspoken rules and unspoken codes. Well, it is funny because what I talk about with some people who are frustrated from the old school, they're like, especially a lot of agents, I don't want to work in a place that's regulated and this and that, and there's all these rules and right, you know, I'm like, well, unfortunately, 
a lot of people let themselves be bullied into this new world. So unfortunately, now going forward, we are going to have to put some regulations on something because, and not necessarily because people are doing a bad job or, you know, what happened is in the old days, you had a week to do a shoot and you had two weeks to work on a fashion show. Now, if you're a casting director, you've got three days, you know, you have a stylist that comes in for like two or three days when it used to be two weeks and that, you know, and that stylist, that casting director have seven other shows in three other cities. So there is no way. So in the end, ultimately someone, usually the talent is going to get lost in these cracks and treated and abused. So I just think, you know, I don't think it's going to change. Fashion shows are going to be this fast. Shoots are now two days and you have to get tons and tons of content. And so we have to reset. We have to reset. Yeah. We have to reset, hopefully take the old behaviors and at least put it back into content. You know, again, a lot of things don't work in this new fast world, but in this new fast world, and again, with the new generation of kids that only know this, they're used to working fast. Yeah. Who is more into this business than a young kid? When I listen to them talk about girls and things and stuff, and I'm just like, Ugh. but then I get excited for them. So I'm like, look, they're ready to jump into this as it is now. I love it. You get excited for them because yeah, like, oh, you know, see it through just, your eyes. You know, and I love to see it through yeah. eyes, and I have to see it through eyes yeah. because there are some things that... As a mentor, I can say, well, you shouldn't get so excited about that, but I'm really excited that this is how you feel. You know, again, I am from another world. I'm not stuck in that world. And, you know, but again, there are some things about the new world that are less interesting to me that I would rather have someone young around. Absolutely. Everyone should have that chance before it kind of falls apart. And And I hear a lot of that criticism about the regulations. It's meant to be fun. It's not meant to be regulated. This isn't politics. I think that actually what has happened from the sort of old to new guard is that, and you see it across culture, those kind of industries and businesses that are not really regulated open themselves up for the abuse of power to those who are most vulnerable to receive it. And so actually... Well, I think 30 years ago, you wouldn't, even 20 years ago, even before... 2005, you know, like early, t- you wouldn't have needed these regulations because the business was smaller. Right. And again, you had two collections and you had two ad campaigns. Right. You know, now one company in the carrying LVMH realm, and you can pick any one of those designer companies, they take any of those big houses where you have men's, you have women, you have accessories, you have children's, you have, you know, oh. just one company alone, one person can barely handle. So that is how the business has changed. And again, that is, that is all that got lost in this shuffle of moving from one to the next. And, so, and I think really, it, so it's not about regulations. It's just about like we're in a new world and now we do have to have, because everything is so big and everything is so broad and everything reaches so far, we do really have to kind of bring something in so that there's just not this mass. It protects the, you know, it certainly protects the talent, but at the end of the day, it has to protect the house too because they can't just run on empty like this and not, re- you know, because at some point someone, something really bad will happen. Yes. And well, this will really be repercussions. We've seen yeah. it across the board. Are you optimistic about this reset? Because I think there are going to be ripple effects from everything, from the way models are treated to yeah. the way people are treated within corporate culture, even pay, maternity. Yeah. It, it really is quite a, a pervasive issue, this idea of abuse of power. Are you optimistic about any sort of reset in the near future? I'm definitely excited about a reset. It is sad to watch an industry fall apart. It is sad to watch your heroes go down. You know, none of this should have ever happened. It never, the business should never have allowed for any of this to happen in the first place, but it did. And look, with moving forward, you, you know, some things just have to be cleansed. And, and there are just some times where something runs its course. And what does give me hope or excites me about the future is when I'm really around young 
college kids who are about to go out into the world, especially fashion students, because a lot of these kids weren't even born in the heyday. Yeah, yeah, so like, you know, a lot of these kids were born like Kardashian stars. You know, so like, sure. that's, this is what they know. This and is like, what's what, exciting. What, what's life yeah. before Kardashian? You know, and that's, you know, none of these kids know what life before a cell phone was. None of these kids know, you know, and that's fine, but that's their world. This, they're going to be the ones that create these new apps, that create these new things, that create yeah. the next round of fashion for us was about collections. Now fashion's about drops. Yes. And that will give you the best example of how fast the world moves. Yes. And if, you know, they're going to get excited about a Supreme and a kid drop and a, and a off-white collaboration. Mm-hmm. That's not the same as right. the way we desired a Chanel bag. So, and there's nothing wrong with either, but these kids are ready to like propel themselves forward in that world. Everything is fast for them. Everything is temporary. And you know, maybe that's sad for us, but that is, It's also wrapped wrapped in this culture of kindness, so almost I feel like the pendulum will swing back to that. Exactly, and it's weird that they want to live in a world that's this fast, this is all they know, but they also, they want equal pay, they want kindness, they want diversity, they want to see themselves. That's the thing that's blown up in the last five years, just the same thing, what is this idea of beauty? Because Mm -hmm. five years ago, four years ago, you wouldn't have had an Attawa or a Slickwoods or a you know, a curve girl or, you know, like just the whole idea of what beauty, that's all been like thrown out. And again, these young designers that we talked about before, they don't see themselves in our system and they are the future. And I would even, even the world of off-white, that's not in the realm of fashion that we need. You know, that's all what's moving forward. And people are following that lead. Every designer is showing tracksuits now. Everyone is showing sneakers. Everyone, it's kind of reversed itself. We're in a more casual, faster world. And I just yeah. think the reset has to address <laughs> Well, I'm hopeful. I'm Matt. hopeful that the Virgil Ablos and the you know Vanessa Kingorias become less of an anomaly and more of the norm. I mean, that's that's well, genuinely I my hope. I think it will. And even if you think of things like them, you know, the new website that Condé Nast started, you know, that's a whole even turned the I whole love that platform. It's gay really world on its yeah. you know, like the diversity within that world that is, and mostly it's of this generation. And I just feel like even take it out of that context, that is when I'm around young people, this is. That, you know, that's all normal to them. I agree with you. I think we are going to see the melding of what they see as their right or their privilege, whether it's regarding pay or diversity or just how they see themselves. That, I think that is going forward what's going to happen. I'm hoping this, this kindness, this diversity will, they will take the mantle and run with it. And then that's just, that's how we go forward. I do think that we still have an opportunity, our generation, though, to set, to set better examples. And sure. I hope that we will, we will actively work to do so in this time as we wait for that next generation to be kinder and gentler. And I think you're an, a great example because regardless of generational lines, you know, you're doing the work. And I, I think that's really the important thing. It's like we can all talk and, there you, go. you know, say, but you're actually in there, in these conglomerates, in these brands, working these Having those conversations. Doing the actual work. So, mm-hmm. so right thank after, you so right much. Right after this podcast, I have a phone call with them <laughs> today and tomorrow to keep going forward about how that's all going to change. So it's not, it's ongoing. Well, thank you so much for doing the work. Thank you. And thank you so that. much for participating in our podcast. And we may have another conversation about the issues as they evolve. Oh, I'm sure. Yes, this probably won't be the last conversation. <laughs> this won't be the last conversation I have ever. <laughs> you might have to retire to somewhere really That is why I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm hoping there's going to be some say like... Okay, we got this. Yeah. You'll be like, if I never have Wi-Fi again, I'll be okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Thanks, thank you James. so much. You're welcome. <laughs>
Mm-hmm. 